your man Cam, the host of Voice of the Fans podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in to another fantastic show. Got my man Cleavon Steele hanging out in the Northwest. How you doing, sir? I'm doing all right, man. Maintaining as well as I can. How you doing, bro? Uh, man, strange time we in. Strange time we in, Cleavon. But uh, let's keep it going, man. We haven't stopped. We haven't missed a beat. As the sports world just keeps giving us topics to speak about, even through this coronavirus pandemic. So every week, we want to give a shout out to our fans that are listening to us on Rise Radio, which is being pumped out of Las Vegas every week. Thank you guys for tuning in. And thank you for tuning in, however you may be listening on either platform, podcast platform that you choose. Thank you guys for tuning in to our show. We really appreciate it. And it is the voice of the fans, so we're doing this for the fans of sports, fans of NBA basketball, fans of football, fans of MLS soccer, fans of boxing, fans of UFC. And we do this for the fans, so your voice is to be heard. Cleveland, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Clevey Wonder, and they can find me on Instagram at Cleveland Steel. And I can be found at Voice of Fans on Twitter and Voice of Fans on Instagram. Again, any feedback you guys want to give, any suggestions you want to give to the show, positive comments. We we accept brutal facts. I give Cleveland brutal facts every week, so he's adept at accepting the truth, and it shouldn't hurt anybody's feelings. So, please, I welcome all constructive criticism, brutal facts, positive feedback. Thank you. And we welcome that. But this is, like I mentioned, the voice of the fans. It is April 29th, week 86 of the podcast. And as we do each and every week, Cleveland, the number 29. When you think of the number 29, which player comes to your mind first? Or who wore that number best? Well, in this particular case, Cam, it's one and the same. Uh, who's the first person to come to mind who wore best is Eric Dickerson, the great running back for the Los Angeles Rams, for a time with the Atlanta Colts, for a time with the Raiders, for a time with the Falcons, but most notably with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, rookie of the year. Um, explosively stepped on the scene, one half of the Pony Express. You know, you get no argument out of me. But I would uh, say that number 29 was one half of the dynamic duel down there in South Florida. Him and Pat, Sam Madison, Patrick Sertain there had the best cornerback tandem in the game for their couple of years. So Sam, Sam Madison comes to my mind. And then, you know, when you think about baseball, the incomparable John Smoltz comes to my mind. But then you have to wonder, did Smoltz actually, was he overrated and did he get enough out of the talent as would be the big question of those 90 Braves teams as well, right? Almost definitely the most dominant pitching staff perhaps in the history of the game. Um, you would have thought that they would have won a few more World Series titles, but uh, I thought that he got the most out of his uh, his talent. And then number 86, I mean, who could forget Mark Bavaro dragging San Francisco 49ers, you know, for a 22 yards down the field after he caught the pass. Um, that's a number that's kind of ingrained in history, isn't it? Or that's a visual that's kind of ingrained in history. Who else wore the number 86 in your mind, sir? You know, ironically, the first person that comes to mind for me is uh, Jeremy Stevens, tied in okay. for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Uh, you know, what could have been, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting pickup. So another local talent was Mr. Mike Tice. You know, Mike Tice, before he became a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, he was uh, tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. So watch him play a lot. And 
that was pretty interesting um, to see his development through off the field as well, through his career and then off the field. So Mike Tyson is another one that he wasn't, I don't want to say he wore better than Favaro, but he was another tight end in that same vein, if you will, right? Absolutely. Come on, so speaking of the NFL, this weekend the NFL does it again. Now people were, some people were a little disgruntled that the NFL continues while the rest of the world has kind of shut down their operations. The NFL said, no, we're going to keep our free agency schedule on and not change it, anything. So teams were allowed to sign free agents. You know, we know we heard about the big one, obviously, Tom Brady going and becoming a Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But there were other free agents signing across the league and for a few for a few days, that was a big talk. Uh, to Todd Gurley going to Alabama, or excuse me, going to Georgia. Um, that was a big talk. Um, just what the NFL was doing, and why aren't they shutting things down? They should be shutting things down. And who do they think they are? And blah blah blah. Well, as we know, the NFL really did, aren't missing any games. They just. It's their off season, and they decided to go with their off season as, as scheduled. Now they did pull back, obviously, some of the what teams are allowed to do, whether they're allowed to have visits by some of their free agents, and where they can meet with some of the players and coaches. Uh, they're not able to do that. Everything is virtual meetings, considering the this pandemic that we're in. But you know that was the main talk around the league, right? Who does the NFL think they are? Why don't they set things back? It's not that important. And, you know, just as sports fans, it gave us a lot to talk about, right? Well, I think that they didn't really violate any of the social distancing rules with regards to how they conducted the draft. So I think it just came up on the schedule and they were able to do things and kind of adapt to the situation that we're in at present. And, you know, kind of continue to conduct business as usual. Um, you know, Todd Gurley going to the Atlanta Falcons was one of the first dominoes to fall, and then there were a few more dominoes to fall after that. However, um, it's not like they were doing something egregious or any, you know, different than anyone else was doing, uh, other than the fact that um, they were able to conduct business um, given the fact that they're not in their season. So, or their season isn't upcoming, so not for a few months. So they were able to kind of, you know, do things as they normally would, not normally would, but um, do things in, you know, somewhat of a normal fashion with regards to still having the draft. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think they did anything wrong. Yeah, um, we talked about Todd Gurley and Tom Brady and another high-profile players that switched teams was Philip Rivers leaving the Los Angeles Chargers to go to Indianapolis, and we're kind of waiting to see how that trans transition ends up. But, yeah, as, as you mentioned, the NFL just wants to kind of keep to their schedule as closely as possible, and, and by maintaining their free agent, uh, free agent schedule the week that they did, they're doing that. A lot of talk was becoming – you know, as far as three weeks ago, should the NFL have a draft? What would their draft look like? Will anybody appear or show up? Since Vegas is shut down, what's what's going on there? Well, luckily, Vegas was awarded another NFL draft in the near future. The NFL actually, with their fantasy football type virtual draft was able to just kind of blow through this NFL draft. So I don't know how much you watch, but um, if you blink your eyes, you probably missed the pick you were looking for because it was just rapid rapid speed, rapid fire. And I'm not – though they want to make a big spectacle out of it and they want to interview the players and have, have a longer kind of play out, player uh, details um, – 
synopsis of the player's career, college career, show some highlights, and then do a little talking about him before the next pick is up. Um, I'm not so sure that this is going to change a lot in the future years. I think they're probably going to keep uh, um, some of the advantages, mainly time, that the virtual drafting provides. Now, what's your thoughts on that? We'll leave that there. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Uh, not at all. I think that once they're able to kind of congregate in a big area, they will do that once again, and the potential first-round picks will be present, um, and they'll make a big uh, splash about it. I think it was a little, for the NFL's perspective, a little disappointing that they couldn't you know, kind of parade their stars out in that same respect and you know, there's a little bit of a delay with, you know, having to <clears throat> kind of go to, you know, all the top draft picks homes and kind of set up things, you know, kind of from an ESPN, NFL Network perspective, you know, and kind of do it that way. But, uh, you know, to your point, um, it was a little bit different. It was a little bit more subdued and not quite as much fanfare, but at the same time, I think that I was uh, quite impressed with how uh, seamless they kind of made the whole process look. Got it, got it. And, and yes, they did. I mean, as far as we know, everything went off without a major hitch, um, a log or a good um, gag from the audience. Uh, not a, It went off pretty seamlessly, if, if I recall correctly, um, except for you know, the drafting that went on down by a certain team in South Florida, but we'll save that conversation for another day. Other than that, things probably went pretty smoothly in the, just in regards to NFL and the NFL draft. Um, let's talk about, you know, the number one pick of the draft. Cincinnati gets their man. They made it clear that they weren't interested in what uh, anybody had to offer, so apparently because they never – sniffed around or um, doesn't appear that they put a lot of consideration to, to trade the pick or um, yeah, not over but trade the pick and move down and let somebody else pick up two of it doesn't seem like that was very much a, a consideration because they went for you know they went for their man and got Joe Burrow um, what, what can you say your thoughts on how Cincinnati is going to use Burrow and how long will Burrow stay on there through his first contract? Well, they're going to use him as uh, the savior of their franchise, a franchise quarterback. Um, they're going to expect him to um, produce results um, on par with what he had done in college. And Therefore, they feel they had a great, fantastic draft. You know, they gave him some help at the wide receiver position, and they're just going to go from there. Excuse me. Joe Burrow going to the Cincinnati Bengals, I think they need a lot of help. I thought Cincinnati, um, a little biased in the situation, but I thought Cincinnati should have traded back and picked up more picks, developed their their team around more picks because, they weren't a quarterback away from making a playoff or being a great team. Um, so I thought that would have been a better move. But they do have – now they have Joe Burrow. They have a mix in. They have – if their receiver can stay healthy, uh, A.J. Green, um, I mean, that's a pretty good nucleus to 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 have moving forward. But um, I personally thought they should have moved back to get their pick. We had the offensive tackle go to New Orleans. Well, we had Chase Young go to the Redskins. We had the offensive tackle go to the New York Giants. Um, then came the Dolphins at number five pick, and they take Tua 
They throw caution to the wind, ignore all the injuries, and they take that kid from Alabama. You know, um, I, I still don't know what to think about this pick. Well, I know I don't like the pick. I, I know I don't like the pick, and here's why I don't like the pick. And if I wasn't clear before, went through the conversation I had with TJ Husmazana that was uh, recorded in, you know, two of, or excuse me, um, TJ Husmazana's reaction to when I said I would not draft Tua in the top ten. I mean that his his expression was priceless. They did they went ahead and chose not to listen to me and they took Tua with the five pick. Now I think it's absolutely ridiculous when you take a quarterback with the number five pick and you have no intention of playing this guy. Um the season. You say he has the season to rest. That, that's absolutely ridiculous. You think Joe Burrow's going to rest in Cincinnati? Probably not, right? He's probably going to get on the field and play, right? That's what a number five, a, a player pick four picks later is supposed to be able to do. It's supposed to come into your come into your team and change the aura, change the environment, change the significantly change the hope that he gives the team. Right now he gives them hope, but I don't see much much else other than that. Like, I've played this game before. I've seen this movie before. You know, you go up, you you have to move up, but you just wait for the good quarterback to come to you. And last time they they drafted Ryan Tannehill, which we all have learned that Ryan Tannehill was a bum. If the guy, let me ask you this question, Cleveland, and I'm going to get away from this topic. If you have a quarterback playing on arguably the best team in the country, now it's debatable because I think in his three years, well, his first year he did when he come out, came off the bench, won the national championship. Second year he played for one, third year played for one, didn't win one. So we only won one. If you have a quarterback who plays for the most dominant, what is he? Let me clarify. One of the top three best offensive lines in the country. Plays with two of his receivers get drafted in top 15 picks. That does only happen, I think. That's the third or fourth time that's happened in the history of the NFL. Now, let me zero in on the quarterback a little bit. You have a quarterback with awesome wide receivers, awesome running game, big hurricane offensive linemen. Will he, they have that same talent in Miami that to let him produce and shine? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt that they, the offensive line, even though they made some decent pickups in the draft, I highly doubt this offensive line is equipped to perform at the, in the NFL as Alabama's offensive line performs in college. Drop back one through three, get rid of the ball. This is in the NFL. This is that's a pick. That's an interception. If you're not foreseeing what's going on in the field, so the kid has. So for that reason, he wasn't able to survive or stay healthy behind the offensive line of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And for whatever you, your thoughts are about Alabama, Alabama and the SEC is, you can't argue that they had the top three offensive line in the game. You can't argue. That's inarguable. Do you think Miami has the top three offensive line in the game? Do you think those guys that are that are playing on the offensive line is going to give Joe Burrow the extra time that he needs to perform? Do you think that, sir? Well, certainly, Tua Tagovailoa is not going to have the distinct advantages that he had playing at 
one of the most premier programs in the history of college football in the NFL. He's not going to have that advantage. However, you know, we just got to, you know, trust in, you know, Nick Saban and his program and and his ability to develop players uh, and get them to the next level and what it is that they're able to do. I can't believe you of all people are trying to defend Saban and what's going on there in in Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I can't believe you of all people are trying to defend this crap. I can't believe it. You know, in the last 20 years, I can't name uh, a single starting quarterback from the University of Alabama that, you know, plays in the NFL. But, you know, that's not to say that Tua Tagovailoa may not be, you know, the exception to the rule. And we've certainly seen he throws a great ball. I mean, you know, T.J. Hushmanzada, Pro Bowl quarterback, said, hey, man, or, excuse me, a Pro Bowl wide receiver was like, hey, man, that's the guy. I mean, you know, who might argue with a, a Pro Bowl wide receiver? Uh, perhaps he sees something, something that I just don't. And, uh, you know, Tua Tagovailoa yeah. is the savior that the 305 has been waiting for, you know, so you, you, you the retirement of Dan Marino. You cut it out. He is no savior, number one. A savior is on the field day one, ready to perform and produce for you. This guy is already going to be sitting out another year. They are already. Well, first, well, like, first and foremost, they haven't had training camp. They have, it's open competition. I'm assuming. You know, I, I'm assuming he, he starts out number three on the depth chart. Excuse me, number two on the depth chart. Oh my goodness. I with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen, you know, giving him a run for his money, you know, and and we'll just see how he adapts to the environment, you know, Cam. I can't believe they were tanking for. They've been take. They tanked for Tua. They tanked for Tua all last year, and they got him. So and, all you can do is say, "Hey, man, let's just let's let's just see what they what, what they can do with it." Yeah, they almost messed it up. They tried to mess it up, but at the end of the day, they still got him. So hey, man. Ride him. See what he can do. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for talking about that. The next pick of the NFL draft was really um, a turning point in the draft because I thought Isaiah Simmons would have been the pick here for the regional manager of Excuse me, I, I thought Isaiah Simmons would have been that pick for the Chargers to make. Um, the, Isaiah Simmons can play sideline to sideline. He, he's a big play linebacker. He can drop back in coverage. He can tackle. You pair him up, and as I mentioned last week to Gilberto Manzano, or Gilbert Manzano, excuse me, you, they need a tackling machine. They haven't had a great linebacker, a great linebacker that stays healthy. They haven't had that in quite a while. So bringing in a young stud at, as a number five pick, number six pick, and worry about your quarterback position later. Um, here again, these guys proved me wrong. They went ahead and, and got the young quarterback and – Justin Herbert. Now we'll see what Justin Herbert can do. He, as he comes to LA and be and prepares to open up the brand new SoFi Stadium. Let's see how much poise he has. Let's see if he's ready to uh, accept the reins as the number one player in the NFL or NBA. Excuse me. Let's see if he's if he has that. Because if he doesn't, um, there's not a lot we can do with that. We're trying to develop salespeople, and you have to have some want to an initiative in your past. So, what do you think about the the pick for Justin Herbert? Justin Herbert picking or uh, being picked, excuse me, by the Los Angeles Chargers, and is he that? Is he that guy? I'm sure you've seen a couple more games than, of Herbert than. We have down here in South Florida, and so you let's see how unbiased she can be. Well, as I tried to explain to you and uh, and Gail last week, um, 
I do not think the Los Angeles Chargers are going to stand pat with Tyrod Taylor going into the season as their premier quarterback. Now, does that mean that Justin Herbert's going to be ready to play game one? Not necessarily, but um, I just didn't think that they wanted to put the future of their franchise in the hands of Tyrod for more than a few games, um, more than they had to. So your uh, pipe dream of Isaiah Simmons falling to that uh, defense and really making it quite formidable with the Ingrams and the Derwin Jameses and, you know, players of that caliber, um, I never really saw that happening. I, I 100% thought they were going to go this direction. Now the question is just how long can they, you know, let the maturation process work itself out before they start them? That really depends on Tyrod Taylor and the running game, to be quite honest. Well, that has some factors in it, and you're right. I, I think, you know, I'd like to see Tyrod at least play eight, nine games. And if he can go six and three, I think he can get a chance to finish the season, or he should be given a chance to finish the season. Because I'm not sure Herbert's ready for the big time. He has a big arm. I'm not sure he's ready for NFL action on Sunday night. I'm not sure about that. We talked about the Dolphins making their pick and drafting Tua. We really shouldn't be giving this a whole lot of time because, again, the players are going to be sitting and riding the pine for the next eight to nine months anyhow. So no reason to really discuss what he's, he's capable of and what he's going to do. What I would like to know from you is I'm searching for some explanation as to why a team would trade away their playmaking running back only to not or totally ignore the running back position moving into their district as a prominent NFL team. How do you not replace the running back position? Instead, at 30, you go for a cornerback, a nickel cornerback at that. Instead of a game-breaking, do-everything running back, Cleveland, I've been looking for and searching all all high and low all around for some type of explanation for that. Can you give me one? I certainly can. You know, although they, you know, had an opportunity to uh, you know, grab uh, the do-everything running back from Georgia in the second round, a guy named DeAndre Swift, they decided that they wanted to go a different direction and get someone that had, you know, gotten a, you know, a few yards in the league, a, a guy named Matt Breida. You know, bring him in and uh, you know, kind of anchor that running game that, you know, perhaps they've been missing. So, you know, maybe Matt, you know, that breed is the answer, as opposed to DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor. Matt Breida, how many games did he play last year? You know, I'm not certain, but it was less. Mm. It, was, it was not mm. double digits. Mm. Mm. It was not double digits. So you wanted to bank on a on a, on a running back who could not even make the squad, make his own team squad. That's what you wanted to bank on. Well, in all fairness, that was a Super Bowl caliber team. That was a, that was the uh, runner up in the Super Bowl. So, you know, you can't knock them too much. You play on a really good team. We'll see how things transpire, man. I, I I'm, not, I'm not liking it. I, I just my my math equation of the injuries. Well, minus the opportunities, the minus of opportunities, you know, we'll see some disgruntled employees. Um, and, you know, as they should be expected, if the company not going to do what they suggested and, and kind of lead their way, I mean, that's not inspiring their teammates to lead the way as well. 
Um, as I said, Isaiah Simmons, I was very intrigued to see where he went. He ended up falling six to the Carolina Panthers, who had to replace their their prize place kicker from a season or two ago. Uh, what do you think? You know, actually, Isaiah, actually, Isaiah Simmons fell eight to the Cardinals, which I thought was a very impressive pick for them. What's that? I said, actually, Isaiah Simmons fell to eight to the Cardinals, which is a very impressive pick for them. Well, well, you'll see. You'll get the, you'll get enough to see him. Excuse me. You'll get enough uh, opportunity to see Simmons and his development up close as you play the Cardinals twice a, twice a season, and you will. I'm sure in due time you understand kind of. Uh, Opportunities that the San Diego Chargers or the Los Angeles Chargers have, have let slip through their fingers. I think the big part of the draft, sir, was those multiple wide receivers that had a a chance to get drafted by some quality players. And when I say the the wide receivers, I'm speaking about uh, Jerry Judy. I'm speaking about Henry Rudd. I'm speaking about C.D. Lamb. Henry Rudd goes to the Raiders at number 12. Jerry Judy goes to the Broncos at number 15. C.D. Lamb goes to the Cowboys at number 17. And the Minnesota Vikings pick up Justin Jefferson to replace Stephon Diggs. What do you think? Who? Which team do you think got the better pick? And now that you have an idea of who they're going to go, to, which team they're going to go to, and who they're going to play for, what's your thoughts on who's going to have the better career? That's an interesting question, Cam. Um, you know how I feel about Alabama players, so rugs and. Uh, Judy kind of falls to the, the back of the bus. So we're looking at C.D. Lamb and Jefferson. And I think that Jefferson has an opportunity to step in and kind of replace uh, Stephon Diggs' production quite nicely. Um, the Dallas Cowboys are a little bit in disarray. They still don't have their quarterback under contract for any length of time, so they don't really know who is going to be throwing uh, C.D. Lamb the ball. So I feel a lot better about uh, what the Minnesota Vikings were able to do. You feel better about what the Vikings were able to do by getting Justin? Justin Jefferson, late Jefferson yes. Yeah, late in the round. Now, I think, you know, I'm not a Wrangler fan, not a Cowboys fan, but I think C.D. Lamb going to the Cowboys, Cowboys really puts the pressure on the host, Kevin Garnett, because I think he, excuse me, not Kevin Garnett, I think he gets, he has the opportunity playing next to Mark Cooper and with Dak Prescott that he'll get a chance to excel um, quicker, sooner than the other guys. I mean, Jerry Judy or yeah, Jerry Judy going to the Broncos. You know they don't have a great quarterback. Henry Ruggs going to the Raiders. They have an okay quarterback, but is he ready to take over and, and be that primetime star? We, we shall see. Jefferson actually has a good uh, good opportunity to kind of step in and be a star because you wouldn't expect that he, he's going to get double teams. You're not expecting that. You know, they're going to let the young player play and kind of see him. if he beats us, he beats us. But we got to see what the young guy is capable of. And I think C.D. Lamb has a slight lead, or, yeah, the slight lead uh, in that category because he's on a team where he, he will never be double covered, or at least not for the first you know, half of the season, if not more. But he will never be double covered. So, therefore, you know, he's um, 
he's going to have a lot of chances to sign against against some of these cornerbacks in the NFL. Your thoughts? Well, again, uh, Jefferson is the only team that's going to a team that went to the playoffs. So, again, I think he has the best chance to sell. Um, and Kirk Cousins has kind of started to kind of fight kind of started to find his groove a little bit there uh, towards the end of the season in the playoffs uh, with Minnesota. I'm just not really all that sold on uh, what the quarterback situation is over there in Las Vegas. So, therefore, we can't, can't really go on the uh, right side of things. And like you said before, uh, Judy is not going to a team that has a, a great quarterback. So, again, not so much. And then, you know, Dallas Cowboys, Amari Cooper is not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go all Rex Ryan about it, but I'm not the biggest Amari Cooper fan in the world. So um, to say that he won't see double teams at any point during the season is kind of, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, but uh, I just think Jefferson has the biggest opportunity to succeed quickly and make the biggest splash. Okay. That's interesting you say that. Um well, I, I don't totally disagree with you there. We'll see how things transpire and not so quick to say that Kirk Cousins has found a groove on Minnesota though, but we'll see how things transpire and these are I think four quality receivers that you should look at when you get a chance to just kinda of see what the they bring to the league, the energy, the passion, the that they bring with them as the, their guys entering the have, have been already drafted and coach coaching up the young guys will be interested to see how this transpires. Um, what do you think about the Seahawks, Seahawks first pick of the draft? It reminded me a lot of why I don't go to Seattle Seahawks draft parties anymore and why I have no realistic expectation of anyone that they take in the first or second round. Um, It was a complete uh, anomaly, a complete um, surprise to everyone here in the 206, um, and you're just going to have to wait and see. Um, there There were so many players that I thought felt or fit a need that they needed immediately. Um, Linebacker was not one of them, um, but apparently there were some shenanigans going on uh, with Green Bay's with regards to trading the pick, and, you know, things kind of fell by the wayside at a very funny time, and they were just kind of, you know, pressed, pressed for time, and, you know, they pick a player that they thought was, you know, the best on the board at the time. So hopefully he is everything that they said that he was going to be or expected him to be. But uh, ever since the Seahawks took Bruce Irvin like uh, six or seven years ago, I, I don't put any any stock into what they do in the first round. And most of the time, I don't even think they're going to pick the first round. So it was kind of shocking that, um, you know, they picked Rashad Penny a few years ago or two years back in the first round. That was kind of a shock. And then this year picking, well, at least I had heard of him. You know, he rushed for 2,000 yards in college. So at least I had heard of him. I had never heard of this guy. So if you're going to pick in the first round and I never heard of you, I'm a little disappointed. At the same time, it's the Seattle Seahawks, and that's how they draft. That's their draft uh, history. Can't be surprised. Okay. Well, yeah, you shouldn't be surprised. But on the flip side, they say Jordan Burks could be the next Bobby Wagner, and that's that's cool. But uh, to draft at a position that's the strength of your team, at the time, is always a little bit strange. Very much so, like you 
drafting a quarterback with a team that just went to the NFC Championship, it's like, okay, so what are you saying? Some words, right? The, quarter, so, the quarterback is injured. The left out of the quarterback is injured. Like, you know, regardless how strong and, and the flower looks, the plant looks from a distance, there's one of them out of the 19 cover photos that they have where the cat, the dude is on some furniture just chilling out waiting for the guy to come home. He's, he's chilling on, like, uh, on the indoor furniture. Like, come on, my man. Come on, my man. That's surprised. Surprise. That surprised me. Um, Cleveland, let's take a quick break here. Let's talk about – well, before we break, I want to ask you about who do you thought won the draft? Uh, for me, it was the Arizona Cardinals and the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they both did uh, very tremendous things to upgrade their their teams um, with some players that um, I felt fell further in the draft. They should have year aforementioned Isaiah Simmons, uh, J.K. Dobbins falling to the uh, Ravens in the second round. Wow. Uh, definitely, I think that those two were the uh, big heavy hitters of the draft, I think. Um, as, as we talked about last week, it's kind of uh, difficult to say right off the bat what these draft picks are going to do. We hope them all, wish them all a lot of success in the league. But somebody got it wrong, somebody got it right. I mean, and that's intriguing for me to kind of see in detail what both or all these teams are doing to kind of ingratiate the rookies onto their team and how quickly they can get them turned around. So it's kind of hard initially to say who actually won the draft. Uh, But the Ravens, you can essentially just put put them down in ink and as they have a great draft, a great draft every year. Uh, Let's take a quick break here, sir. Cleveland. Yes, sir. Let's talk about some NBA topics, man. Did you get a chance to watch the Last Dance documentary, episode three and four? And if so, talk to me about your takeaways. Yes, I did get to uh, watch the uh, Last Dance episodes three and four. And it just felt like uh, 1991-92 all over again. Isaiah is the big bad bully and the villain. And, you know, Michael Jordan is the sacrificial lamb. And, you know, the uh, the innocent one and everything in all circumstances. And, you know, it's unfortunate. The one thing that I did uh, learn... Um, which I didn't realize before, is that um, in the same way that the Pistons walked off the court, Lambier leading his guy Isaiah, Isaiah did a little shoulder dip in and out, walked off the court. The Celtics had done the same thing to them. So it was just learned behavior. That's how the torch is passed. I mean, just take it how it is, you know. Well, yeah. I, I feel I feel bad for Isaiah that he again is having to uh, go through all this again thirty years later, you know, and having to uh, you know kind of defend his bad boy image, being the leader of the bad boys, and kind of having to you know kind of take much more of a you know conciliary role in this whole thing and just kind of. You know, I'm so sorry, you know, King Michael, Jordan, Allah, please forgive me, kind of, you know, 
stance, and that's 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 not that's not what bad boys do. So, you know, I'm I'm sorry that he was kind of kind of forced in that situation again, but you know, history is what it is, and history is written by the winners, and Michael Jordan's the winner. So, yeah. So you brought up the you brought up the Pistons walking off the field uh, off the court, and Isaiah Thomas kind of you know, shrinking his shoulders and his head inside his shoulders so there a little bit as he passed MJ. Was there was there um a moment where you thought they're overdoing it? Now, we talked about it on the last show with the music and the montage. Was there a moment that you thought things were overrated or not seen by enough of the masses during the taping of the show? You know, the only thing that I would say is that I thought that they portrayed the – Bulls Pistons rivalry very one sided. Um, and in addition, they kind of downplayed the fact that two of the bad boys from that team actually ended up playing with Jordan and had no problem with it. Um, I think that Jordan's whole issue has always been with Isaiah, not so much with the Pistons, but, um, I, I thought that the the way that the whole thing kind of played out with, you know, Jordan still not um, you know, kind of accepting him walking off and still kind of holding in the edge, I thought was a little petty to me. But um, that's just me. And, you know, it is Jordan Allah, so, you know, whatever he says goes. So, you know, I have to go with that. But other than that, I didn't really think that the two episodes had a – the first two had a little bit more bite to them, um, a few more nuances with regards to kind of how the season went. But, again, it is the season, so, you know, there are certain things that kind of come and go. Um, I've never been a big Dennis Rodman fan, so kind of his interjection into kind of making the Pistons better and whole – um, for the second three peep and you know, kind of his uh soiree to Vegas and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was kind of an interesting side piece, but you know, the most dominant rebounder in the history of the game, or not you know, or close to it, is, you know a few notches down from, you know, being a complete player. <laughs> Just because you can We've done really well in kind of explaining, you know, having people shoot in the gym for hours and kind of understanding the trajectory of the ball from, you know, certain distances and stuff. That's cool. But, you know, you're, you're not you, – if you understand basketball, he never said, I was trying to be the best basketball player I could be. It was just this one particular part of basketball I was trying to perfect and, you know, dominate, which is cool if you only have one area of the game to do that with. Of course, he was a great defensive player, but I mean, it's just it's so limiting in what it is that you do. And when I thought back to it, it was funny that uh, it kind of came full circle to uh, Charles Barkley and Draymond Green, um, you know, kind of having their piece back and forth, and Charles Barkley just kind of, you know, this last time, I thought he just kind of put him in his place, man. He was just like, yeah, man you're a great role player on a great team. It's like, don't act like you could do, you know, these miraculous things without Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. Because it's not like you can carry your team by yourself. You just, you know, you do what they need for you to do because they do so much kind of a thing. And I think that Dennis Rodman kind of falls into that. But people tend to give him a little bit more credit than I would. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.
tell you on this week in history, man, a lot has happened this week. In 1847, Samuel Lee Gravely was appointed the first black admiral in the U.S. Navy. It, well, in U.S. Navy naval history, that's pretty incredible. And same date, February 29, 1985, Colonel Frederick Gregory was the first black astronaut who piloted this Challenger in 1985. That was a pretty, you know, interesting accomplishment. And not... A few years ago, 1845, Mason B. Allen and Robert Morris Jr. became first became the first blacks to practice law in 1845. And then something you might remember that happened in '92 was the L.A. riots. April 29 is the first day of the L.A. riots. Do you remember that? I do indeed. Pretty contentious moments here in the Los Angeles market, um, racial moments, and I'm sure if you've seen any of the documentaries, you'll see how the police were brought in from the south to kind of manage black people and told to go get them, you know, get, find as many as they could. So that's kind of started the trend. But click on. A couple surprising things happened also in the draft, as it does every year. We talked about some of the first-round picks. But with the Green Bay Packers taking Jordan Love out of Utah State, what's your thoughts on that pickup? And do you think this speeds up the departure between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? I personally saw it as just history repeating itself. Um, the same thing happened to Brett Favre uh, when they picked Aaron Rodgers in the first round. Um, the difference being that this team got to the NFC Championship and this was perhaps the most wide receiver heavy draft in you know, the last 30, 40 years. So Conventional wisdom said that they probably should have picked up uh, a player to help Aaron Rodgers stretch the field, but at the same time, if you have someone that you think is legitimately going to be his predecessor, um, you go ahead and take it. Now, of course, some other teams pick quarterbacks that you know they think can help their teams or, or be uh, predecessors to their their current uh, starting quarterbacks in the next couple years later in the draft. So if they make a mistake, we won't know for years to come. But uh, it was a little bit uh, surprising that they went that direction so early. Okay. Um, yeah, some of the stake opening up around the country is going to be surprising. We'll see how, how that actually happens. Uh, when it does happen, we we know the weekends actually Friday and Saturday are those designated days where these the couples uh, find something jointly to do, or they go out amongst the girls and the guys. Um, what does that what What does that look like to you, as far as um, You know, Jordan Love, you said history repeating itself. Jordan Love taking over for Aaron Rodgers. Are they prematurely pushing them out the door? What does that look to you, look like to you? And should Aaron Rodgers ask for a trade as some media members are suggesting? Aaron Rodgers' contract is such that they can't trade him next year or even the year after that without taking a massive hit to their cap. And um, as far as Jordan Love is concerned, he's in, he's in the best position he can possibly be. He's in a 
situation where you basically can't replace the quarterback unless the quarterback gets hurt. So there's nothing that Aaron Rodgers can do physically on the field to give Jordan Love an opportunity to be the starting quarterback. So he's just an apprentice. We'll see how much he learns. Um, we'll see how, how quickly he develops. But um, it's only a mistake if you think that the Packers could have gotten a piece that would get them to the Super Bowl in the next couple of years. Maybe a receiver. They passed on instead. Right. And they did get a, you know, the guy, A.J. Dillon. They did get their running back. They did get a tight end. They did get a few other things, um, but just not those, you know, marquee players at the field position that you may have wanted if you thought you were, you know, a player away from making the Super Bowl. But if you didn't think that, and a quarterback that you think can be your franchise quarterback two years from now is there, you can't fault him because they, they've, they've already shown that that works, that that mentality works. Had they not passed, I mean, imagine if they had not taken Aaron Rodgers 15 years sure. ago. Where would they be, right? Sure. They had, a, so, they, had a, they had an aging, aging Brett Favre that they played, what, 150 games in a row at that point? So, only time will tell. Another another um, draft pick that we'll equally be seeing and watching and following over the next couple of years is Jalen Hurts going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Does Carson Wentz have a reason to be concerned about them drafting? Uh, Carson Wentz certainly has a reason to be concerned, um, given um, his health issues over the last couple of years and the fact that um, his backup basically ended up, you know, playing in the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl without him. So, um, although they gave him a ton of money last year, most of it, uh, well, a good percentage of it guaranteed. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's not a vote of confidence, but I would say that um, he has to be on his, on his best game in the next couple of years. And if he's not, and Jalen, you know, develops the way a lot of people think that he will, that it, it could become an issue, uh, you know, I would say two years from now. Um, two years from now, that that becomes an issue, huh? I think it'll be an issue probably uh, at the end of the season once they have to call on the the bullpen, the relief pitcher, to kind of save save the butt of Carson Wentz. That's what, kind of what I expect to see. So looking back at it now, we discussed some of the top the early picks in the draft. We discussed how, how the Seahawks picked. Um, Look back at, at it now. Do you still agree that the Ravens are in the leader for the best draft, the best draft team that they've had? I still think between the Ravens and the Cardinals um, that those two teams have the best 2020 draft for sure. Yeah. Well, okay, that, that's interesting. So, well, that gives that gives the fans something to look at to see how the receivers trans, how the receivers uh, learn the game and trans translate that learning their teachings onto the field. And again, we have multiple seasons or multiple weeks until the season starts, so so they can be kind of facetiming and texting and chatting with their quarterbacks, and hopefully they are learning about their teammates so they can become the guy off um you know that's that's what we're kind of thinking about on this side um Cleveland, i asked you about your takeaway for the from the last dance we talked about the draft anything else that you we had talked about that you'd like to bring the bring the attention to other fans 
Oh, man, you know, only the fact that because of the euphoria of the Tua Tagovailoa pick at number five for the Miami Dolphins, oh, there, there, was no been talk. there was no euphoria. Let's clear that up, man. There had been no euphoria. So, anyway. Oh, for sure. They had been tanking for Tua the entire season. They finally got their wish, and so they have him. But there has been talk that Golden Allen himself, Dan Marino, should come down from Mount Olympus and bestow the number 13 onto a target by Lord to make him feel more comfortable. Man, no, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of a, wow, a little bit of a shocker. That's, that's absolutely preposterous, a preposterous idea. Um, you say a shocker, I, I say asinine ideas. Um, and I can't give it any more airtime than that right there. Um, the NFL did a great job with their with their virtual draft, as I mentioned, more like a felt more fancy football ish, if you will. Um, the league continues to press on and, and make fans and Entertain the fans that are, be, are there to be entertained in the, in the way that they do it best. I will I will maintain my thoughts that I would be surprised if the Chargers play in in front of empty stadiums here come September October. I'll be very surprised by that. on that idea was preposterous. No re, no way Dan Marino should give up his jersey to a injury prone quarterback who we don't know what he's gonna last season. If he wants to, if he feels that strongly about it, I say, Well you gotta make the Pro Bowl. And see mm-hmm. how far they push to go to the Pro Bowl. Your thoughts? Uh yeah, no. once the number's retired, it's retired for a reason because the person that wore it before you wore it so great wore it so well that no one ever should ever wear it ever again. So unless you're family or unless, uh, really unless you're family, to be quite honest with you, I don't really see any other reason to unretire a number. And certainly not in the NFL. I know that uh, Nebraska unretired Johnny Rogers number for his son. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But I mean, like, why would you ever unretire a number? It just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. That's the whole reason that the number gets retired in the first place. Mm-hmm. So just because you're, you know, kind of trendy and you know, the most, you know, recent to kind of wear that number in college. I mean, he hasn't done anything in that though. How do you retire someone's number for that? I think trendy was an understatement there, too, Bob. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like there's just, there's just no reason to unretire a number. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense to me because I mean that's the whole point of retiring the number. So, but that's just that's just my opinion. Obviously, you know, you guys in three hundred five feel a little bit differently about it. So, well, Cleveland now it's now, you know, that is again I would just say it's a preposterous idea. So let, don't speak another word of that ridiculous thought. Um, now it's time for us to unveil our hip-hop champion. I don't want to say first annual because we don't know if we're going to do this again, but it was pretty fun to break down songs from the from the era, well, from any era, just hip-hop songs that kind of identify what was the best one. My vote was for Lose Yourself. However, it has been outvoted by our researchers and crack staff who did choose Ain't Nothing But a G Thing. As that song is the one song that launched the record label, as Mr. Cleveland still addressed it. But then that song still rings true to this day. I mean, the, hearing the video. Watching the video, I mean, some of the stuff still goes on to this day, um, you know, and it gives us fire to just people get there where they fit in. Your thoughts, Mr. Cleveland? 
Got off as far as we can, as, as, I, as I tried to uh, forewarn you last week. Yeah, the launching of uh, Death Row and Snoop Doggy Dog and uh, you know, other various artists, uh, Death Corrupt. Hey, dog. Yeah, that's a private one. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good one, man. I enjoyed doing it. Um, I enjoyed doing this breakdown with you. So, fans, let us know um, what your thoughts are. As, as you know, we just announced the winner. But um, thank you, Cleveland, for your patience. Thank you for your time tonight, man. And I hope your family has a wonderful rest of the week and you guys are all healthy. Fans, thank you guys. Without you, this show would, wouldn't be much at all. So thank you guys for tuning in to Voice of the Fans podcast. Again, you can hear our podcast or any podcasting app that you listen to, Apple Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Stitcher. Um, we're on most podcasting. Tune in. We're on most podcasting platforms that you will use to keep you you sane in these wild days. So thank you for um, offering that. Fans, thank you for making Our Voice your choice. Hey, Marcel Smiley right here. Thank you for making Our Voice your choice. You know what I'm saying? Let me give me a beat, dog. Let me get something. Let me get something. <laughs>